A year ago, Kathy was in Papua New Guinea and she met so many amazing people who still impact her life. One of those people was Henna, a woman with an inspiring story. Her journey began with a challenging situation that could have easily left her feeling hopeless, but she chose to think differently. Hannah's story is a testament to the power of resilience and determination. Enjoy this conversation between Hannah and Kathy. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining me again today. This podcast episode is going to be another interview that I facilitated with my friend Hannah Joku. Wow. Wow. I mean, I can't wait to hear from you all. After you listen to our conversation, please share with me what what were your takeaways? She gives so many little golden nuggets and she speak she spoke to me in so many different angles. I can't wait to hear from you. So please do share. Henna, I met a year ago when I went over to Papua New Guinea. She's from Papua New Guinea. She lives in Papua New Guinea. She's got a powerful story. I'm not going to share anything here. You're going to listen to the interview. Uh, but I want I want you to, to see her as just a fellow friend. You know, sometimes when we cross borders, when we travel, I mean, people are different, right? We look different. We have different thoughts. We have different emotions. But really, we don't. And she talks about that, the power of relationships and the power of people. We are people, you, me, henna, we are people, and we have a lot more similarities than we have differences. So enjoy this conversation that I had with henna. Definitely follow her, watch the, the show notes for different links where you can stay connected and lean into all of the golden nuggets that she's sharing. I can't wait to hear how it connects with you. How are you with all of your with all of your life changes? I can't I, I want to like hear all about the new new position that you're in. Um so I decided I want to go back into media. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you it's a passion that I've had. I joined the media industry in Papua New Guinea when I was 15 and I've never formally studied for it. It was a passion and I it grew from there. So my experience was is in uh, journalism and broadcast for radio and TV. I, You can't get away from it, you know. Your purpose will kind of give you a nudge and remind you like, hey, you know. So I've appreciated um, all my other life experiences and work experiences, but I've missed, I've missed, um, wanting to do what I love, I guess. So I stepped out of my comfort zone and uh, set up a small media company very, very recently. So this is it. I'm just going to take baby steps from here <laughs> and uh, shoot for those goals. It's something I've always wanted to do. So I, I would never forgive myself if I didn't try. I get it. I get it. But when you step out on your own like this, I mean, whoo, there's so many questions I'm sure. And so many things that are happening. How, because the podcast is called thinking differently, how, like, how are you managing your thoughts and how are you choosing where to go with this new opportunity? 
a lot of it I also follow my gut and I think when you put your purpose to the universe whatever higher power you believe in I believe in God I think he will take you there and so it's just realizing and seeing the opportunities and going with it and I think I had um I had uh I think a very real um, realization that I was on the right track because shortly after I had registered um, the media company, I had received a phone call from a Pacific uh, media colleague and they asked, you know, do you have a valid passport and what are you doing? So I said, I'm freelancing. So a couple of weeks out of registering this company, I ended up in the Cook Islands for a week um, for a media <laughs> for a media gig and it kind of just fell into my lap. So I thought I'm on the right track. And I am, I always look at the end goal in sight. If similar to if I'm doing a, a radio or TV production, I know what the end goal looks like. And then I just work backwards uh -huh. uh, and fill in the gaps as I go. Okay. Yeah. So what, what does your end goal look like? What are, what are the things that you want to do with your media company? I want to continue advocating against violence uh, for women and girls in Papua New Guinea. And so that's a huge um, positive that I've taken away from that experience. I have no regrets about what happened. It happened to serve a bigger purpose. And so even though my five-year court journey is over and I won my case successfully and I've had requests from people all around Papua New Guinea asking if I can continue to share information, if I can. Um, just, you know, they don't know where to go. And so I've also volunteered my time for a, um, on a local youth radio station. So I speak there every Thursdays and I don't look at it just as GBV awareness. I look at it as empowerment. And so I think by embracing this role and this platform I have, my end goal is I would like a thriving media business doing what I love. It's media has never been a job to me. It's something I love waking up and doing. So, and I want to just help educate um, more Papua New Guineans. So I know a little bit, I know a little bit about your story. I know a little bit about your previous media experience, but can you, can you share, like you said, you got involved at age 15 in media. What was it that you were doing and, and what did you grow into? So I was in year 10, um, and we used to have a program here in Papua New Guinea where you get assigned to different work organizations for work experience for two weeks. And I wasn't the most uh, proactive student. I actually had left my application and choice to the last minute. So the guidance counselor at school had called me in and said, you know, Hannah, you have just two choices. There's only two slots available for you. One is at um, the Crown Plaza Hotel and the other is at uh, MTV, the local TV station. And I remember asking, what will I do at the hotel? So she said, uh, you're going to be with the chef in the kitchen. So as a Melanesian and, you know, Papua New Guinean um, young female, I already spend a lot of time in the kitchen. So I said, I'll take the TV station. And so... I grew up in media, but with my parents both worked for um, newspapers. And when I walked into the newsroom and discovered television, I fell in love with it. 
So I worked through uh, every school, uh, weekend and school holiday through grades 11, senior high, 11, 12. And then I joined the organization full time. Wow. Wow. Okay. So then what were your positions that you had while you were, while you were working? Cause you worked for the TV station for a while, right? Yes. So I like to tell people my first job was making my boss's cup of coffee, but I made sure I would make him the best coffee that he would always remember me. So whatever task I got given, I did, I did my best and made sure I was brilliant at it, whether it was, um, so it was just admin work and clerical work initially. Mm-hmm. And then I would um, go along with the journalists and, and just watch and just learn and just absorb everything around me. And I was told that I would may have to probably go to university before I became a journalist. But I thought, no, I think there's there's another way to do this. So three weeks into the job, I had... Um, an incident where I was in the office on my own with my boss and we had two huge news stories come in from a different province and he didn't have a a reporter on hand to quickly do them. So he said, can I listen to your voice? Can you read this script for me? So I read it and then he said, oh, have a read of the other one. I just want to, and then he walked out and said, I'm going to use this and you're going to have these two stories on tonight. So within three weeks, he called me in the next morning and said, congratulations, Um, I'd like to promote you to be a trainee reporter because I was wrong about you. Journalism, you either have it or you have to study for it. And clearly you have it. So that's how I got into it. Wow, that's fabulous. That's how it started. What, there's so many angles to journalism. My daughter actually has a, a journalism degree. So I've been educated in this journalist world. What's your favorite piece of journalism? What's your favorite thing to do? I think it's, my favorite thing is attending a very difficult, um, or not difficult, but attending a press conference that maybe it's about, um, you know, uh, a topic of national interest and being able to translate that in my news story for everyday Papua New Guineans to understand. Ooh. And regardless of what it's about, one and one of those first ones was that I wasn't big on reporting on politics, but I learned very quickly that it comes down to the networking and looking at these people as just people when they step out of the office that they hold, they're just people. And so my way of thinking has always been like they're very accessible and they sit in public office and that office belongs to me, the voter not 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 the minister or not the governor and so i was i'm i built a lot of relationships over the last 20 or so years and it's made it easy to be able to reach out to these people again uh, when i do need to contact them for something so not to be intimidated i've always loved not being the smartest person in the room i like learning from other people so i would just read the room and, you know, one piece of advice I got very early is never be afraid to ask the silly question because most often half of the journals are all thinking the same thing. Wow. Well, you know, here in America, you know, United States, we have that same problem where politics is such this arbitrary big words. I love how you just said you're just your job is to simplify it for everybody, probably even the politicians to understand better. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So how many years, because I know when I was there last year, actually, 
like literally last year today year. when I got on an airplane to start heading over to your hemisphere, um, you were you were part of the tribal foundation. You were an employee or or a piece of that. So how many years were you out of media before you you took the leap to go back? I um I left um, the last TV station I was with. I left two years prior to joining tribal. Okay. So I was a presenter and producer for TV One, which is a private-owned um, TV station here. And But I had always covered um, Tribal's work because when it came to different NGOs and I would be attracted to um, the messaging and what they stood for, I had already known about them because I'd given them coverage and publicity on their activities and events. So... That, that opportunity also just fell into my lap. I think things get attracted to you um, and the law of attraction. So I'm appreciative of that experience. I'm appreciative of the team I got to work with and uh, everybody I got to meet in, in that uh, in that adventure. I always yeah. think everything's an adventure, different adventures. <laughs> Right, right. And that goes right back to relationships. Like you talked about earlier, you know, relationships are going to get you where you're going in life. And I agree too. the law of attraction. It's real. Uh It's real. So, so, okay. So, and I know you have a powerful story from you personally, you mentioned it earlier, how you're not bitter about it. It, you, You won your court case. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your story and why you're so passionate about what you report on? Sure. So in 2018, I was a victim of domestic violence and I decided to fight for justice. Um, In Papua New Guinea, that's not common, especially for somebody that has a very um, high profile job. And um, I guess in any working professional woman, there are very few that will ever report it. What's profound to me is on the day that my, so this person has successfully been um, convicted of three charges. That's one count of rape and two of grievous bodily harms. I think um, with the sentencing, it was changed to serious assault. And the day the rape happened, um, something clicked. And I found my purpose on that day, which was, you have a media platform. There's a reason that you've been in this industry you're now going to use this platform to share your story to help others. And it it was a, a gut it was a gut decision. Um I knew it was the right thing to do. I didn't know how long it would take. Um I went up against every kind of uh threat, harassment, intimidation. Um uh the thing with Papua New Guinea as well is because my perpetrators from the Highlands province, Highlands region, they're known to be very aggressive and um, have, um, I don't think it's a cultural thing. I think violent tendencies are very much an individual's uh, actions and decisions. And so a lot of people hide behind that um, normal culture. So we have a lot of influences that have changed the way things are being done. You have technology, you have social media. And so by um, knowing that I'm already part of mainstream media, I thought, you know, I have to, I have to do this because for three reasons, three very specific reasons. Number one, I did it because I needed to protect myself. 
because I was getting death threats. Uh, number two, I did it because I realized as media, I had access to information and people that everyday citizens didn't have. And so it was my social obligation to access those people and that information and quickly share it to the public because this had never been done before. Um, I knew that we had no, uh, I guess, simple documented case that people could follow and really understand the processes that a lot of people deal with. And thirdly, I wanted to give back to the relevant government agencies uh, my case in its entirety and say, hey, this is where the gaps and the loopholes are. My fix the system, fix the system for everybody else still fighting for justice. And um wasn't easy, but I would quickly flick switches in my brain. So I would go, so I just need to backtrack a little bit. Growing up and being in media, anytime I step into a newsroom, whether it's mine or not, uh, I feel like I'm home and I get goosebumps. That happened the first day I stepped into national court and I stepped into the courtroom and I had to call my sister quickly and tell her, you will not believe what happened. And she said, what, what, what? And I said, oh, you know how ever since I've been a kid and I, you know, anywhere I go in a new, to a newsroom, I get these goosebumps and that sense of being home. And she said, yeah. I said, I just got it. And I've stepped into national court. It's my first time to be in a courtroom. <laughs> and so that just um, gave me that, um, I guess, acknowledgement that, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. So... Wow. I would tell myself, what do I need to learn today? And I was really excited with going to court. I'd get all dressed up, put the red lipstick, put the heels. And um, I thought, you know, this is my courtroom. There's two things I believe as Papua New Guineans that are very empowering, and that's to pay a visit to national parliament to understand that the role of this government is to provide and protect and um, give serve you and to step into a courthouse because when you understand and you're not intimidated by you know the word judiciary or that space, you'll be more empowered. So I would get dressed up, go to court, be really excited about what I was gonna learn today about the process and the systems and then quickly use social media to share it and help uh, get that information out to people. Wow, wow, so my guess is your your communities knew that domestic violence is going on, but the news never reported it. They nobody ever really acknowledged it. And here you are bringing it out into a platform, not even using your news platform, just social media. What what was the what was the community connection with you? What did you see happened within your 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 communities that that brought it, brought you all together? I'm guessing. I have seen with this six year journey that my case has united Papua New Guinea using just the power of information. Wow. There's so much regionalism that happens be with you know within the provinces here because we're just so diverse and sometimes people focus too much on that, that diversity and they look at it as a negative thing. And so this case, I'm told constantly, has single-handedly shaken up the Highlands community. And this information was sent to me by a university professor. Um, she's, 
she said, you know, you, half of us cannot believe he is in jail. The other half cannot believe you had the balls to do this. And a few supporters that he has, I'm not sure what to do right now. So you've made us, especially the educated ones, take a huge step back. We need to look at ourselves and change our, our mentality, our mindsets, our behavior. And I get um, requests for help with cases from all over the country. A big surprise for me was being asked by um, Papua New Guinean men, Miss Chaku, can you help me with my case? And I always say the same thing. I am not a lawyer. I am not a law enforcement agent um, or officer. So how can I help you? Oh, you have, um, I think one of the, one of the interesting ones was being asked by a lawyer. Uh, a male lawyer and I said you know he was insistent and you know I would just like to meet have a cup of coffee so we sat and I said how do I help you and he said I practice law for a living but you have maneuvered our court system and you know more than I do and so you'd in a you're in a better position to help me understand what happens next what do I do and what can I do that will or what can I keep following up on like what are the hacks, I guess, in making sure that I get justice as well? So I'm always appreciative and humble that people come to me for help. And, and if it's in Fort Mosby, I go out of my way to make sure I give them that time. And meeting them is important because just sitting and talking to some of many of these women, um, I never hear from them again because then I get a message that says, thank you. Uh, you have inspired me. I have now left the violent relationship. I have finally reported him. I'm in court. And so that one-off interaction and just being present to be there for another human being is, it doesn't matter where they come from, you know. If somebody reaches out for help, it's so important for me that I can quickly give of my time and what's my strength, it's information. So I'm able to sit and tell them, well, these are your options. Um, and not everybody is going to go to court. Each situation and case is different. So you will decide what's best for you because you're actually in it. No police officer or judge or, you know, counselor can understand what you're going through better than you can. So you decide what you want. Sometimes I, I tell, so I'm, <laughs> yeah. So I'm invited to a lot of um, public speaking events, corporate um, schools, communities, uh, leadership programs. And so the audience is always different. Um, most recent, I spoke to um, a room full of doctors and initially I asked, what could I possibly have to share with, you know, these medical professionals? I, but they said, oh, we, we wanted to invite you to inspire because your, share your example of leadership and integrity. And then I said, okay, so again, making it relatable, I told them, you are frontline responders to GBV. Um, I know there are counselors sitting in this room, so I have a few questions. Have any of you ever gone, gotten counseling for yourselves? No. Um, knowing we are Papua New Guinean, I don't know what the systems are currently, but when a victim comes to you and she tells you, I'm a victim of domestic violence, you treat her, what, what do you do afterwards? They said, nothing. If they come to you and you as a 
doctor can see the the injuries and the extent of the abuse, what do you do? Said nothing. And so it was an eye opener. It allowed them to see things from a different perspective. And now we've connected. They want to sit and you know exchange ideas and look at how do we now quickly put together something that's going to help them to connect to the law enforcement. Right. Even though this is something that I feel we should already have, we don't. So that's the reality. So what do we do? And um, I had several of the gentlemen in the room come later after the session and say, I'm, um, I'm going to be honest and say, listening to you speak, I felt very guilty because mm -hmm. I do deal with these women. I do deal with these victims and I have never done anything except do my job and send them off. And I don't like that. Now that it's been, you know, now that you've made us realize that, and one interesting question I got asked is, what is your most um, positive uh, interaction you've ever had at a public hospital? And I said, walking in, and the first person that saw me said, hi, how do I help you? You saved me standing in the wrong line for a few hours. You made me feel welcome. You made me feel valuable because you took a few minutes out of your time to just ask if I was okay. And that's something I remember. And all of the doctors just said, you have made us realize we're so detached and we just operate as medical you know, professionals. We forget that we're human beings and we have tunnel vision and we're just there to do a job because sadly one of the doctors had um, treated this young woman a week before she was brutally murdered by her husband. And so for him to share that, that he said, I saw her a week before it was COVID. I was focused on COVID symptoms. I saw she had a broken arm. I saw she wasn't speaking when I would ask questions. Her, her uh, aunt was answering. And so I quickly, I looked at his look, I looked at him and I said, and I know that you're holding on to some guilt and you can't do that to yourself. So now how do you take that? as a learning experience and what do we do next? That's, that's what I'm here for. Now that we've all met and we've all connected, how do I use my field of um, expertise and experience to connect to you and what do we do to make sure that doesn't happen again? You're getting people to think differently. You're, you're empowering people to own. I told my kids growing up and I still preach it that nobody cares about you as much as you do, not even your mom and dad, Nobody, because no, nobody can fill in those gaps that, that you can't even communicate. Right. And, and that ownership, I guess that, that empowerment is so powerful. But what I've learned is sometimes people need permission to think like yeah. that. Yeah. So thank you for always being so willing to share your story and, and, and get your message out there because it's, it is, it's more than the trial. It's more than all of that. This is, this is changing your world and the entire world. Okay. Now, are you, are you doing a lot of traveling outside of Papua New Guinea with your media group? Or are you, are you pretty much staying central to, to where you're located? So I haven't traveled uh, short of the Cook Islands. Um, I'm just, because it, I'm very new, I'm now falling back and using the networks that I've built to look at opportunities. Um, the funny thing is because of my, 
I guess, uh, willingness to speak and share, even though the company is centered around media, I'm a lot of the requests I'm getting are for or request to do proposals to work with an organization has been hey we would love to have you come and do some uh, media training and leadership sessions and so i'm going to leave it open i do want to increase and take the public speaking regionally so the cook islands um, didn't allow me to just connect and be attached to a local broadcaster in the cook islands but I also co-presented with uh, my sponsor from South Pacific Community. So we did the gender session on uh, at the media training workshop. And I had three very senior female journalists come to me separately to say they are all victims of violence. And they had been following the story. So my story got picked up in the South Pacific and I got messages of encouragement and prayers and support from everywhere, Fiji, Tonga, Vanuatu, you know, Solomon Islands. And so the, our case has set a precedent for the entire South, for the entire Pacific. And, uh, having that interaction now to my regional colleagues, they realize that it's okay to own your story and use what you have around you. I said, we are media. If we don't talk about it, who will? I don't expect you to share, you know, details you don't want to share about yourself. But if you, as a strong Pacific woman, stand there and say, yes, I know what that feels like. I've been there. That's all you need to say that helps the other person um, connect to you. That connectivity, we are, we are Melanesians and Polynesians and Micronesians. And what is the most effective campaign for any kind of awareness? It's storytelling. It's what our ancestors did. It's what our people understand. They don't understand, um, you know, elaborate media campaigns. They understand storytelling and person-to-person -person connectivity. So when you say, I know what you're going through or I've been there, they're more likely to feel comfortable with sharing and listening to you. Yeah, and it, and it it doesn't stop in your area of the world. I mean, storytelling yeah. is a connector all yeah. over the world and the value of sharing the story. And that's where, you know, when I was over in your country last year and just the following I've been doing, you know, of yours, that's what I love the most because we we do and you mentioned it earlier that that emotional connection and the feeling in your gut and you know I do a lot of emotional intelligence training and it's hard emotions are hard you need to be intelligent with them but you can't ignore them they do mean something right yeah. so we have to we have to pay attention to it and connect with that I love it how can how can people I mean even you know here in America is or United States I should say is where I'm located, so this is where my my people are, and that's where I'll be sharing the podcast and such. But how can people stay connected with you? Where are you within the social media or website platform? So I'm very active on social media. The most, I think, used platform here is Facebook. And so a lot of um, my entire journey was documented through Facebook. I'm also new to Instagram. So one thing I did when I went through this court journey was I would hashtag everything Wonder Woman Diaries. And that's because diaries, because I'm a journal and I love to write and Wonder Woman, because I believe every woman in the world 
has a Wonder Woman inside of her. She just has to realize it. And so when I do sit with a victim and I let her cry, sometimes I cry with her and then I get wait, wait until she's settled. And then I, I tell her, you look at me as a mirror and I want you to see courage and strength and bravery and take what you need from me, take from my story. And it's important to own your story and tell it so somebody else doesn't feel they have the right to tell it. So I've been stopped in the street um, multiple times and people say, hey, Wonder Woman, thank you. You know, I use your information to save my mom. Uh, my sister's now saved herself. And to see the perceptions and the attitude change with Papua New Guinean men especially, I get stopped by police officers. Thank you so much for what you've done. You've helped people understand the process, that it's not an overnight thing. I've had private lawyers, uh, many offered to take my case pro bono. I opted to use the system that majority of women will go through and use. And it was important to keep it that way because I wanted the government to be held accountable every step of the way. So I would tag the police minister to my posts until he unfriended me. I would tag the justice minister. I would harass the attorney general until he stopped taking my calls. Because you do not own those positions, I want you to know that I'm just going to be here to keep diplomatically harassing you to say, hey, do your job, do the right thing, because people's lives depend on it. And it's so important that you see that I'm not doing this out of spite or anything, but I'm, I want to use my story to help people. And how do we better work together? How do I as a citizen connect to you in your position and how do we help people? Right, right. It's people. I love how you said earlier, we're, we're all people. We all have yeah. similar challenges and, and fights and to have somebody that is willing to share and to have somebody who's willing to, to lean in. Thank you. So I'm building an I'm building an army of empowered women. Aha. <laughs> now to follow you on Facebook, is it just your name or do you have like a business page? What do you what have you created? I'm still setting up my business page. So it's just my name right now. Um Hannah Jaku on Facebook and Wonder Woman Diaries on Instagram. And I am I'm very old school, so I do realize that, you know, TikTok is another platform that can be used very positively. So I am going to allow myself to, I will teach myself. Learning never stops. So I'm, I'm here to just teach myself and I want it to be fun and interactive, not, not just such a negative conversation. Yeah. So that's what I hear when I'm on the radio station talking to an audience that's predominantly youth is, hey, what do you get to learn today? And how do you empower yourself? How do you equip yourself? So I remember speaking at a local high school and I had invited two of the female students to come with me to the station. And one of them whispered about a few minutes before we went live. And she said, oh, Hannah, I've downloaded a constitution and I'm reading it. And wow. I would love to go into parliament one day. And I said, that's it. That's, that's all I need is for one person in that room to take ownership of their purpose and journey and be okay to go out and then inspire and empower. So everyone I meet or even places I speak at, I connect them back to uh, my colleagues at the radio stations because for Papua New Guinea and the difficulty with geography and infrastructure, 
um, if we want any kind of awareness to go out, the most effective using mainstream will be newspaper and radio. So I said, everybody's listening. You never know who you're going to inspire for the few minutes that you get to share. So don't be nervous. Forget the mic that's in front of you and just talk to the guy and talk to the host and um, talk about you and your journey and why you're here today. I, I love your confidence. I, and I also, I love that, you know, you're here on this earth for a reason and you're using your, your opportunities, your platforms for not just yourself. You know, that's hard. That's hard. Sometimes when this, things like domestic violence and abuse happen, the, the, why me, why, why often is a question, but yeah. I love how you are, you think differently about what you can do with the experiences you have had funny you say that the most frequently question I get asked in here is what did you do to provoke it what did you do and why are you even talking about it and so I just say why not why can't I tell my story I'm the best person to tell my story you don't get to tell my story it's mine the good the bad and the ugly it's it's all mine and I'm okay with that I'm comfortable um being those are audacious questions to ask. Wow, that that's boldness coming that's, from that's others. What, that's what we. That's what I need to change. I was very disturbed when I had a female um, media colleague who I've known for twenty something years ask me one day, "Did those things really happen to you?" Because she's friends with the perpetrator, and I just said, "You know." Um, that's okay. That's okay for you to ask. Well, number one, no, I, it, yes, it happened because I don't have free time to just rock up to court, you know, willy nilly because there's nothing better to do. Um, I didn't have spare cash lying around every time I needed, you know, transport. And I said, that's okay. You know, um, if that's how you think or how you feel for me, I've also learned through this process that we will lose people along the way. And that's okay because God's just making space for the other people that we need to connect with. And so I'm, if we outgrow family and friends, I tell women, don't worry about it because that space is meant for somebody else who's going to help you on your journey. Wow. There are so many golden nuggets in what you have, have shared and what you've said. I can't wait to, to air this podcast episode and just talk to people on, you know, what was it? What was it that you said that connected with them? Because mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. You know, I was, I was going to ask, I mean, he, he he's a, a Papua New Guinean, right? So he has connections and, and I know the whole male, female, was it hard for, for, I guess you to, to push forward with your voice because of support that maybe he was getting. So he um, was also a public figure because he had contested the last two elections. So he was running for the governor's seat here in Fort Mosby for NCD. And um, every, yeah, every kind of intimidation you can think of, they tried every excuse, every adjournment. I had a very nasty, um, defamatory uh, article published about me on a, on a blog, uh, the day before trial started. And some information in there could only have come from people that I worked with. Mm -hmm. So 
I knew that there were a lot of fence sitters that, yes, they knew me, but they were like, yeah, but you're female. You know, women don't usually report this. Why would you do it? Or are you trying to destroy, destroy his political aspiration? And so I said, listen, women already carry the burden of proof if we want to go to court. Number one, I get it from society. Hey, what'd you do to provoke him? Wow. Then you get it from the court system because you have to prove that this person did these things to you. And then I found through the journey that, yeah, um, I had a female judge. She was given a 11-year head sentence, and she was gracious enough to then suspend it. So I'm not okay with that. So I'm challenging that suspension, which has been suspended by five years. He's in jail, has been since May. So that was my Mother's Day gift to myself. Uh, he got convicted in December when your team was here. So that was my Christmas present. <laughs> so I will always look at things in a positive way. So where this judge um, I felt wasn't fair, I'm okay. That means I get to go back. And part of my purpose, I think, is challenging these systems and processes to wow. show that we, we either need to change it or you know tweak it somewhere because it's not working. So it's made me go back to research and um, connect to people and find out about things like, you know, how do we use my case to now, what I'm pushing for is to get witness protection to be automatic and granted without having to apply to the courts. If I've already gone through this case, why do I need to apply for an IPO and permanent protection orders? Why can't it be granted to me? Why do women have to go and prove again that yes, I already won, but I've still got to go back and prove that I'm in danger. It's Papua New Guinea. Let's be realistic here and, and not sugarcoat things. And secondly is hopefully with this case, I also want to help um, other people and other organizations that are championing to try and have a separate human rights track set up at the courthouse so that the next person doesn't have to spend five years fighting for justice. So your, your fight's not over yet? No. I mean, the... I don't think it will ever be over. No, so yeah. the conversation will change. But like even now, because I'm constantly asked for information, um, I'm in the process of um, last year I was awarded a Bravery and Courage Award by an organization called the CPL Foundation. It's given to um, women from six different areas. So I've gone back to them to say, hey, how do we work together? And if all goes well, I will launch a podcast of my own nice. to um, share information and just keep people talking. The conversations have to keep going until they become normalized because what's happened in Papua New Guinea is the violence has happened to the extreme that it's so normalized. It's, it's an everyday thing. And we need to switch that up to make people realize it, regardless of your ethnicity and religion and beliefs. Um, everyone's governed by a set of laws. And that supersedes everything else because each individual's life is important and is of value. And nobody has a right to take that away. You're right. You're absolutely right. Well, I know, I know that it's, it's Friday for you. It's Thursday for me. It's about 5 p.m. Thursday, but it's about 9 a.m. Friday morning for you. Um, so real quick, can you just tell us a little bit? I know you and I have talked at 
like your 1 a.m. hours because your your son, your active son was still up. So what what's your personal side? You know, what's your family structure? And, you know, I, I think you live in Port Moresby, right? Yes. What else? A little bit about you personally that you, you're comfortable sharing. So I am a, um, a mother of five. I've been a single parent for 16 years. That's by choice. That is also something that's uh, frowned upon, I guess you could say. I'm okay with that. My I grew up in two very um, diverse families. Both parents come from um, families. Uh, they're both from families of 10 siblings each. And so I have a huge, huge family. What um, I think makes my story a little different. Uh, my father was a refugee. He's originally from West Papua in Indonesia. So he came to Papua New Guinea at the age of 12. Uh, he did not speak English. And he went on to master it and become one of Papua New Guinea's top investigative journalists. So, and my mother comes from um, Central Province, and my grandfather is from Goilala, which is a very minority um, group here in the Central Province, always known to be troublemakers and instigators of violence, I guess, to an extent. So when I meet people from my province here and I share that I'm from there, they're very surprised. And I said, I'm the stigma that comes with it when you tell people, when you say where you're from, they automatically connect you to something negative. Whereas I get to change that perception. I am a strong um, Motuan woman. So my mother, you would say is Motuan. Um, I don't, I speak fluent English, Pidgin and Indonesian. I cannot speak my parents' um, local languages, dialects. It's so complicated, but I understand it fluently. So I live in Port Mosby, um, but all of my siblings live across the border at home in West Papua. So they've all moved and become Indonesian citizens, and I'm the only one that's here in Papua New Guinea out of my immediate family. Um, but, yeah, I think every day we're afforded all different opportunities and we all have the same 24 hours. So what are we going to do with it? So uh -huh. your um, interview, actually, you know, thank you. It's very timely because I just found out last night that the Justice Department is having an open day. And so they are going to have all the different agencies who did play a role in my case um, be there. So I'm going to go, go along and meet different people and extend that network. But and then I, that's a whole other, um, you know, bucket of information that I, I'll come back and disseminate and just share, share to people and share. So I think what has happened with, with the, with the cases, people have gotten comfortable. We've had some very high profile people come to me as well. Um, I get asked for help from policemen, policemen's wives, police women, politicians, partners, everyday women, young women. And as a mother of a 23-year-old, it's so important to me that we we set the example now. But when I'm not doing media, when I'm not doing advocating, I love to read. Um, and I not many people know, but I love horror. I'm a huge Stephen King fan. I fell in love with him in high school. So I, I think our brains probably are similar. In that they function right. a little different. So so what, but, book, what book or books are you reading right now? I have um, several on my shelf. I actually can, cannot remember right now 
to tell you what I am reading. Um, but this morning I was reading my Bible. I'm trying to get back to fitting in and prioritizing that meditation space um, before everything else happens and everyone else wakes up. It's just reallocating that me time to me. And I always tell women, find what works for you because self-care is important where you're juggling, if you're juggling a career and home life with Papua New Guineans, you're also juggling your extended family, your in-laws, your cultural obligations. And so my detached time and my me time is going to the gym. So I love going to the gym. And then I post about that too, because I like to encourage other older women to take care of themselves because um, you have to have just a nice clear head space to be able to deal with everything that you deal with. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Hannah, thank you for having your voice, for being confident with your voice, for sharing. And thank you for sharing here, you know, today on this, on this podcast, you're not just preaching and teaching to your people. You are crossing the borders, you're crossing the oceans because everything you said, I relate to as well. I, I, we're people, we're women, the, the wonder woman and the empowerment. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing because we need to hear you. We need to hear from you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. I hope this topic has challenged you in thinking differently as you strive to grow from success to world-class. Please follow this podcast, share it with your friends, and follow me and Unity Consulting on all social platforms. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and our websites, unityconsultingllc.com and kathyrotes.com. Just make sure to spell my name right. I look forward to connecting with you next time to challenge your habits so that you are more efficient and fully empowered. Thank you.